Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Group Answers Podcast, a weekly show designed to resource, train, and encourage small group leaders. Each episode considers current trends and resources, as well as timeless truths and methods of discipleship. It's hosted by Brian Daniel and Chris Surratt. Now, enjoy the show. back to the group answer show with Chris Surratt. I am Brian Daniel and it is a wonderful October day. It always is in October. And this is the calm before the madness that is two hours of light that's coming a day, two hours and rain every 24 hours. But I'm not going to dwell on that. Welcome to the group answer show, Chris Surratt. Hey, let me ask you a question, Brian, because this is fall. I love fall. Some people don't like fall. My wife's not a big fan of fall because it means... How could you not like fall? Well, it, for her, it means winter is coming. So Now that I can buy into. Yeah. But you've got to... You've got to... You've got to refuse, as Brandon Hiltabody would say, refuse that. Refuse that, yeah. Don't... don't. What do the, what they, what the kids say now? Don't manifest that. Um <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. It. Um, but I, I'm curious, what 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 is your family? What's one favorite fall activity or tradition that you guys do every year? Well, you know, families in quotation marks now because I've got one in New York and one in San Diego. Mm, so yeah. it's pretty much just carrying me. But when they were growing up, um, we would we would make the pumpkins. And it was mostly Skylar and me, my youngest, but Ashton would watch. So that was something that we did. And um yeah. That's fun. And leaves leaves is huge yeah. at my house. I've got like a three quarter acre lot, which is pretty small, and about thirty trees. Nice. So gutters is a problem, leaves is a problem. So I do that all the way through pretty much February. Just get leaves up. Nice. Yeah. That's not not what you wanted to hear. No, no. I'm not really blowing this. This icebreaker question away, I know, but you did get me talking. No, it's good. I, I, I think it's easier when we talk like Christmas because everybody has their December tradition, whatever. But this is specifically to fall. I think my favorite for us is we go to the National Farmer's Market and pick out pumpkins together. And we used to live about maybe a half mile from there. So we would ride our bikes over with a little pool cart behind us, loaded up with pumpkins and then ride back. And this year we had to drive, but yeah, I think that's our, our fun, fun time together for fall. What do you do with those? Are they just, are they just fall? Are they just harvest decorations or do you actually make, do you make art out of we them? We used to make art. In fact, uh, we used to do it with our small group every year. We would get them in the kitchen and everybody brings their own pumpkin. And then we spend a whole night carving. And then we have a little contest at the end. I think my daughter uh, judged the winner last time. But uh, we haven't done that in a couple of years. But yeah, that, that used to be our tradition. But now it's just put them up around the house, set them up. Is that sad? Is it sad yeah. with everybody gone? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's well, I still have one at home, and we had one that came home for fall break, so that was nice. So Ashlyn, Ashlyn's at home. Ashlyn, no, uh, Brianna's at home. She's going to grad school online, okay. but yeah, Ashlyn came home for about three days for fall break, and it was it was fun to see her. 
It's those moments that you get after they're gone when they come back and it's just like, it's that much sweeter is what I found. I think it's just, you know, it's it. not everything goes in either or terms, right? Mm, Like mm -hmm. it's not sad or not sad, but I can see how some families do struggle with, uh, the empty nest. I guess I would say that. Oh, I, I oh, understand yeah. that. I mean, we're not completely the empty nest because our oldest is living with us while she goes to grad school. But, you know, I still remember that first drop off at college. I bawled like a baby and I'm not a, I'm not a <laughs> crier by any sense of the word. But I bought, you know, the whole entire way home, I bawled and thought, this is it. This is the end of us as a family. We're never going to be together yeah. as our four ever in. And it's not true. She came home. She's going to grad school. Our youngest yeah. comes home and hangs out for a while. So it's just a different season. Anybody video not, you crying? Uh, I would like to see that. Never, never happen. You will never see me well, cry, Brian Daniel. <laughs> You better not, because I would never let you forget that. (laughs) That's why. But that's not why we called. Today, we're going to be looking at the four vital questions for planning for the future. And we chose this topic today because uh, in a recent episode, we we talked about campaigns and what to do after a campaign and how important that is. And the big campaign seasons, if you will, are fall and really January. I think January for groups has become... Mm Maybe even bigger than the fall. I know when I first started in this business, nothing was biz- uh, bigger than the fall. But I think after the new year is when uh, we see the most activity associated with groups. But yeah. we're looking at planning for the future and the questions you should be asking. Now that we've laid the groundwork with campaign and talked about that a little bit. Uh, so what are how how do you filter for planning the future? Yeah, I, I think this is a great season or time of the year, speaking of seasons, for uh, working on the ministry and not necessarily in the ministry, especially for groups, because, you know, the kind of the rhythm of groups is we're really, really busy coming up to the fall launch. We launch groups. And then we talked about last week um, about how you follow, or a couple weeks ago, actually, about how you follow up on that. And then once you get groups rolling, they're almost like they're kind of handling themselves. And so they're you're not as busy during kind of November, October, November. And so I think it's a good time to really set aside some time and think about the future and, like I said, work on instead of in the ministry. And I think if you don't approach it right, you can get, um, you know, you can get a lot of ideas that are impossible that you can never pull off or you just get. Uh, you just get frozen by all the possibilities. And so I like using a framework of four questions to go through uh, planning for the future and and any kind of planning that you're going to do. And they are what was, what is, what could be, and what will be. Those, those kind of help drive a planning session that you're having or even individual thinking as you're thinking about what's next. So I don't remember you using that terminology before working on the ministry versus working in the ministry. That's an important distinction to make. I think anybody listening out there is going to recognize what you're talking about there. I know in my world, there is getting getting pulled into the operational aspect and day-to-dayness of what I have to do. But that can't be done at the complete expense of 
looking down the road and understanding where we're going and the path to get there. In the end, it's both and. The fact that you, the way that you would use that is really insightful because if we're honest, I think it's a tough tension that mm-hmm. to do both of those things because our giftedness and our passion sometimes can be a default that works at the expense or the detriment of either either one of those uh, aspects of the in or the on. Yeah, the in, the easier the default is the end because or in because that's the whirlwind as they describe in four disciplines of execution. That's what we have to get done week by week. If you're in ministry, Sundays happen almost every seven days, you know, so the tyranny, yeah, the, the tyranny of the, the urgent. tyranny of the earth. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, the, that's what's right in front of us. And if we get locked into what's always right in front of us, then we'll never move forward or get better at, at what we're doing because we're always locked into what's next. And so, yeah, so it's taking that time. Maybe it's a day, maybe it's a few hours, whatever it looks like to get beyond that whirlwind and think about, you know, and I used to say or used to think that you should think three, four, five years down the road. I don't, I don't really believe that anymore. I think you should think probably six months, 12 months, you know, with the way the world has changed over the last two years. Um, don't get too far ahead, but really thinking about what could what could happen over the next season. Is a is a counter to that that you can still think whatever years down the road it's the path to get there that you've got to hold on loosely to. I think to point to to paint a picture of a destination point out there in the future. This is where we want to be and have some lead measures for your lag measures. Yep. I think that's still in play. But whereas I don't know how many years ago, a decade ago, there was the five year plan and this is the way that's gonna happen, maybe longer ago than that. I think those days are over. I do too. Yeah. I, I like to use the, uh, the middle picture of you're, you're standing on top of the mountain and you're seeing the top of the next mountain. And this is probably really familiar with, with you, Brian, cause you actually climb mountains. I don't climb mountains. I drive to the well. top of them, but you, uh, you actually, <laughs> you actually climb. So let's say you've climbed one of your 14ers and you're looking across at the next 14 er that's obviously your vision, right? You're, you're, you're saying, I'm going to get there. But then you have to sit back and think, how am I going to get there? So now I got to come down and go through this and up this and over this. And that path does get changed. COVID changed it completely. Instead of going Mm -hmm. forward, we went sideways for a while. So yeah, you're right. You got to hold on to that loosely. All right. So what was, what is, what could be, what will be, is that, are these, are these just four questions or are these sequential? Is this, is this, this is a sequential. specific order? Yep. This is sequential. Okay. So it's important. And I, this is not, um, this is not just me. I didn't come up with this. This actually is through uh, some business practices that, that I've used in the past. But when you're starting to plan, what's, natural is to just immediately jump to the future. So you start thinking about our, what are, what are some things that we can do next year? What are some things we can do two years? And I think you miss getting to the core of what, of who you are and what you need to do. If you don't actually look at how did we get to where we are now? So thinking about, okay, uh, let's, let's put it in groups, uh, terms. So thinking about, we are at this many groups doing this type of curriculum right now. How did we get here? So looking back over the, the last year or, you know, when I came into harvest, it's looking at 
you know, the last 30 years of history of how we got to where we are right now. And if I didn't understand that, then I would just be moving forward without all of the things that I need to know to be successful at the next step. If I don't honor the past and don't know how we got to where we are, then I'm going to build a future that is not going to connect with the DNA of who we are. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was going to ask you, so for an example, you don't have to use Harvest, but I'm sure that you've, um, in your various stops along the way, or even in some of the conversations you've had with uh, those in church leadership, what are some of those, a couple of things that you remember from the what was that were uh, integral to moving forward? Yeah, and I'll use Harvest because I'm, you know, in the middle of that. I've been there for a little over a year. And uh, looking at Harvest, you know, what was, was a midweek Bible study. And so everybody came to one place, uh, heard teaching, it was on a Wednesday night, and then they did their breakout small groups off of that teaching. And so that was the history of what they had done. And really up until about two and a half years ago, that was who they were. And so coming in, I need to know that. I need to know that most of the people that are in groups now, that is what they're used to. So they understand yeah. Bible study. They understand inductive uh, uh, study. And so even though we don't do the midweek anymore, we still have to graft some of those terms, some of that into what we're going to do in the future. And if I didn't know that, then I'm disconnecting completely from um, probably 60 to 70% of the people that are in groups currently. Yeah, it's almost like you're looking at uh, it's a study of momentum. And so to understand to understand how you got there, you're having to look at what's what were the conditions and the momentum that got us here. I think a second piece of that and some of the things that I've that I've experienced in my, you know, uh, group life is the matter of expectation. You have to know you have to know you have to understand the past to understand a current level of expectation and what people are expecting next. So that helps you in your messaging. That helps you in your timing. It also helps you understand who are the people that I need to be maybe extra sensitive to or maybe that I need to consult. Yeah, those key influencers. If you, And I've probably mentioned this book before, but uh, the first 90 days book is uh, so important to read, especially when you're going to in a new situation. And they talk about um, connecting with those the people that built what came before and making sure you understand who they are and bringing them with you into the future as much as you can. So does this understanding of what was then, does it lead you naturally into what is, or is that a somewhat of a separate category? Yeah, I, I mean, it's going to bring you to naturally just to that. So, you know, starting however many years you need to go before to look at how where you are today, but then really taking a hard look at what is reality. What are our numbers now? I spent some time this morning actually digging into where are we with attendance, group numbers, um, you know, uh, some people call it getting truth on the table. So figuring out what is the reality, because if you don't understand where you are now, you really can't plan for the future. And I see so many ministries, so many group ministries that have no clue what their numbers are or any clue of really what people are feeling or what's working and what's not working. And they're just planning for the future. And so you really have to understand um, where are we with all of these things before we start making goals and dreams for the future. 
So in your most recent experience, what were some of your takeaways from the what is aspect of you looking forward and in your planning? Well, one uh, one historic one for me is when I went to Crosspoint, I write about this in one of my books. Um, they had the goal of it was, a, it was a new church, but they had grown quickly. They had the goal of having 80 percent of their adults in small groups. And they thought that they were at 80 percent in small groups because they didn't have any ways really to keep good attendance or get good numbers and they didn't have the staff to, to make that happen. So one of the first things I did is as much as I could, I dug into where are we really? And we found out that we were at about 30% actually in groups, which is, was a shock to a lot of people because that's not where they thought they were, but it allowed us to set a new reality, a new baseline for what we needed to do next. Because if we just assumed that we were at 80%, we would plan differently than if we were at 30%. So that led to us putting into a system for hosts and all of that that eventually got us there about three years later. But yeah, that, that was an important piece for us to know before we moved toward the future. I know I've been in conversations, um, you know, and I think a lot of people use these filters just uh, naturally or just because it's what they picked up and haven't put it this succinctly. But uh, in an assessment of a current state, um, I've talked to people that have realized that, you know, we when we got when we dug a little deeper, we realized that we weren't being effective at disciple making, mm-hmm. which is what we what we do this for is what we created this for and it wasn't working. So it naturally led to a reassessment. Um, yeah. It reminds me of that Willow Creek study That's years ago, years ago now to reveal, reveal when they're like, wow, it's, you know, we've got all these, all these gaudy numbers, but we don't feel like we're being successful at doing the, the heart uh, of what we, what we intended to do. Yeah, that's a great example. That was a huge opener for a lot of churches that were kind of following in the Willow Creek model was, yes, we're attracting a lot of people, but are we actually discipling them? Are their lives changing? And the answer at the time was not really. Yeah, and they used that to create, I remember the visual, there was the stair steps. Yep. And they were really good at like steps one and two, and they were failing between steps three, two and three, or maybe it was three and four. And so that helped them plan for what to do next. Now, I don't, they had other problems that emerged in, in following years. Right. But I thought that part of what they were doing was real, was real effective. And I always, at the time, I appreciated the level of transparency that they had yeah. because Willow Creek was, you know, one of the, they were the torchbearers case studies. Yep. Yeah. They were one of the case studies yep. of uh, what they were doing. Yep. So then after what is now, so now we've taken a look back, we've looked at our current reality. Now is the time to start dreaming. So, you know, instead of at this point coming up with, okay, what can we do? We know what our reality is. This is time to dream. This is blue sky thinking. So spending some real time of and not limiting it by resources or time or personnel or anything like that. Just thinking, you know, if nothing was impossible, what could we do? What kind of groups could we offer? Um, What kind of leader training could we build? Uh, What kind of campaign could we launch? Um, Just enlist all of those things and kind of get it up on a board or on a, on a sheet of just dreaming. Just um, uh, Roy, 
uh, uh, Disney called this an idea drawer because, and I got this from uh, 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 Stratops, but basically Walt would have all of these dreams that weren't possible yet. And so Roy, his brother would take them, write them on pieces of paper or cards and stick them in a drawer. And every once in a while they would return to that drawer and get them out and decide what could they do from Walt's dreams. That's an idea drawer. Build your own idea drawer. What is possible or what, what could you do if nothing was impossible? That's a pretty cool illustration. The same thing happened. You know, there was a season of life and I read a lot of like Disney biographies and those that are acquainted with the Disney parks know Big Thunder Mountain. Well, originally that was this big idea. Um, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. And it was uh, supposed to be a part of the uh, Walt Disney World which was 1972. But when they started releasing the plans, Pirates of the Caribbean was not a part of that. And so uh, people were asking that uh, in Florida, why doesn't Florida get a pirate ride? And so at the last minute, they killed the Big Thunder Mountain, Big Vision, and put in Pirates of the Caribbean. That's why hmm. Disney fans think that Florida got short-shifted there because it's not as nice as Disneyland. And then, but what happened was that went into the idea drawer and years later, when they were looking to expand, they pulled that back out, and that's where they got Big Thunder Mountain. So huh. there's how that happened. And you know the the Disney story is there's there's not there's never really a bad idea. There's just some ideas that need to be deferred. To your point, no, I didn't know so about what that could one. Be, yeah, another one was the talking Abraham Lin big, Lincoln. Big big sky, big thunder sky. Gosh, I wrote a blog about it years ago. But anyway, but the talking Abraham Lincoln, that was one of those that, that Walt came up with and they did not yeah. have the technology to pull that off. They put it in the idea drawer, brought it out. It's still there at Disneyland. When you've led these kind of exercises though, do you put parameters? Do you put any parameters or do you not at this say point. there are no bad ideas? No bad point? ideas. Again, no limits by personnel, time, you know, all of that. Because, you know, once you start limiting your thinking, then, you know, that comes next. You don't want to limit this part of the process. And, and you'll think in your head, well, there's no way we could do that. But maybe when you get to the next part, there's a piece of it. Just like you said, like Disney started with the Pirates of the Caribbean, which led to the bigger one. So everything, you know, usually when you're in an idea session, something leads to another. So that first- Big Thunder. It just came to me. Chris, I'm cutting you off. Big Thunder Mesa. Oh, is what the original Mesa. idea was. Wow. Yeah. I did not know about big, that. Big, big ambitious project. Yeah. So, it would have been more like um, Space Mountain. Well, there you go. So one idea led to another, yeah. led to another. Yeah. So, yep. Do you find it hard? Have you found it hard to get people to the, in the, in the hurriedness of the day to call time out and say it's time to dream? How have you created an atmosphere for to make this part of planning and strategy and vision effective. Yeah. I, I think in the past having like an intentional retreat, something that you can get away from the office is, is great. If you can do that, getting people into, you know, a hotel ballroom somewhere or a back room in a restaurant, but something that gets your mind off of the everyday uh, tasks that you have to complete. So I've done that in the past. Uh, when I work with the unstuck group, you know, we'll take two days with the church to walk kind of through this process and it's setting aside phones and emails and all distractions and trying to be as present as we possibly can. Um, you know, so we can, we can really clear our minds to dream about the future. 
So what you're saying is what doesn't work is, all right, guys, we're going to segue into a 15-minute dream session. So I'm going to start writing on the board, and you guys just give me your, your best thinking here. You're saying that that might not work. No, and for certain personality types, that's that's a nightmare. Um, for, <laughs> I mean, for, for my personality type, I'm a five. And if I'm in a meeting and they immediately say, okay, I need your best five ideas about this in the next two minutes. Well, forget about it. Now, if I get an email ahead of time and says, Hey, we're going to be talking about this at the meeting, start thinking now, beautiful. Right. So you can do a lot of effective dreaming in a meeting, but don't just do it right off the cuff. Give people time to kind of think about it before they come in. Yeah, what I've found is creativity and to ask that of people, uh, of team members, they're they're doing you a favor here. And so you owe it to them to create the best atmosphere for the best thinking and the best work in that regard. Yep. And buffers on either side is good. And to build an expectation either through an email or in another meeting, we say, OK, this meeting's coming up. This is what I'm going to this is what we're going to be doing so that people can be thinking about your team members can be thinking about these things leading up to and come with their best thinking. But there needs to be an expectation set and some buffers to the time because you can't just turn that on and off. No. You can, but I don't think it's the best approach the best of, or the most, yeah, effective most effective use of the time. Yeah. If you want a book to dig on, in on this, I know, Brian, you know, this book, Creativity, Inc., about the yeah. uh, start of Pixar. It's it's the best book. I, and, it, and it's a business book, even though it's just stories about Toy Story and, and all of those. I mean, just the process that they came up with for dreaming and how they structured meetings. It's just, it's great. I love case studies as a way to learn. And I would, I would just add to that. I think military history is really good for leadership as well. All right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what was, what is, what could be, now we move to the pragmatic, I assume. This is what will be. So taking that list of what we're dreaming about and let's break it down into, okay, what can we accomplish over the next three to six months? So really using a filter and there's some exercises that you can do to do that. Um, I won't go into them now, but you can probably research those, but taking those big ideas and figuring out, okay, what can we pull off? And maybe there's pieces of an idea that we can pull off, just like you said with Disney, but let's say we want to, we want to do our own campaign. So we are dreaming right now in October about January, February, and we want to do our own campaign. Okay, that's great. Now we could do a campaign where we shoot uh, individual videos for it, where we get people to interview. Uh, you know, we, we write all this stuff. We do all of that. For most churches with not a lot of staff or personnel, that's, that's probably not going to happen. But we can take that and maybe look for something that's um, more done, pre-done, that we can customize. We can use an iPhone to shoot some uh, interview videos of our pastor, some extra material. So we can break that down into steps that we can take to work towards that in the next three to six months. And so then you build that out and you can go even up to a year two years if you need to, and then revisit that, you know, but this is where you, we get into, this is what we're going to actually do over the next six months to a year. It's so important to get the tone and temperature right on this kind of thing, because while we, we all want a challenge and we relish and delight in a challenge, but 
there is a fine line between being handed a challenge and something that just feels overwhelming. And there is a leadership component to that in either case. So to get it right, what you're going to pursue, whether that's a sequence, if you've got a bucket of these things that are all the, the good ideas we feel like we can do and you identify them in batches and say, we're going to do these four uh, over the next six months. And depending on how that goes, then we will reassess and we will open up uh, projects, additional projects that we want to pursue. Or we say, these are, these are our emphases for the next 12 months. This is what we're going to do. I've just recently come through some strategic planning and came up with all these ideas and I had to, I want to do all of them, but realized that that was, that was not going to be healthy. Even if I was really good at assigning this and that to uh, specific team members for responsibility, it was just, it became overwhelming. And so what I had to do was use discernment and choose which ones we were going to take on in a given time period and just realize that. And then I, Chris, I think, I think you also have to be quick on the trigger to kill something as well. Yeah. If you get into it and it's, you realize, Hey, this, for whatever reason, this is, this is requiring way too much energy and way too much time for what I believe we're going to get out of it. So in the middle of things, you may have to make a decision to table it. And that's just being pragmatic about it. Yeah. And that's a good point, Brian. Um, The idea of this is not to just add things to add things. You know, we can, we can really easily add events that just compound more events and things like that. And then it's just so complex that nobody really knows what's going on. So as a part of this process, as a part of the what is, it's good to look at, okay, what what's still bringing fruit? Um, what are some things that maybe we need to not feed anymore or we need to uh, have a, a good burial for because uh, it's no longer effective? before we move into adding anything. So that pruning process needs to be a part of this as well. So yeah, I I think that's huge. And then using the uh, 40X kind of framework, you know, they say you shouldn't work on more than three to five big, what they call wigs, wildly important goals at one time, because we can't focus on more than that. And that's where companies and churches get, get, get uh, stuck a lot of times is they'll have six, seven, eight things that they want to accomplish over the next year. And one of them really does because that's the one that uh, the pastor cares about the most. So really keeping it into that three to five and then making sure you prune ahead of time is, is that's a really good point. Good conversation. So this is, uh, again, these are just four vital questions for planning the future. Um, Chris walked us through what was, what is, what could be, and what will be. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Group Answer Show. Thank you for being with us. Hope to see you again on down the road.